Hi everyone, this is Amber Shaw, founder and CEO of Adorsis, a laboratory data management software company. Welcome to Adorsis Lab Software Podcast. Joining me today is a very special guest, Darren Platt. Darren is Chief Information Officer and President at Dimitrix. One of his roles is to oversee the team that handle data management and analysis for Dimitrix cell engineering platform. Prior to Dimitrix, Darren was VP of Data Science at Amherst, head of research at 23andMe, and led the computing effort at the Joint Genome Institute from DOE and XLexis, overseeing several multi-million dollar software projects and large teams of software developers in biotech settings, covering DNA sequencing, consumer genomes, and synthetic biology. It's my pleasure to introduce Darren Platt. Welcome, Darren. Thanks, Amber. It's great to be here. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today. You have decades of experience in computer science, informatics, genomics, and worked with many biotech startups and major genome centers. You and your teams have built many softwares using the biotech companies. So there are many topics I'd like to discuss with you around building software for biotech industry. And then we're going to talk about them over the next few episodes. But first, Maybe you can tell the listener a little bit more about the software that you have built over the years. Cool. I'm very happy to. I remember somebody very early on in my career saying um, they weren't sure that um, computational biology would ever really be a thing, um, that maybe you'd never be taken seriously by either computer scientists or biologists. And I'm happy to say that there's been tons of work to do um, in that interface. And I've typically been working um, sort of with lab, mostly experimental lab science, and um, trying to connect that to sort of computing. And um, except at 23andMe, there was, was no lab. It was um, the interface was more with consumers. And that, that's involved everything from just basic algorithms, um, designing experiments or reagents, sometimes helping people just work out what they're going to do tomorrow, uh, as well as collecting huge amounts of data, trying to understand what's going on in that data. And then enormous amount of software to actually run a lab. Um, people often ask, you know, why do you need software even to run a lab? And a typical lab might move somewhere between 100,000 and a million bits of liquid around in a year. And I think it's a dirty little secret in my field that everybody gets, um, they sign up to do the big data machine learning because that's a really exciting part. But 90% of my time ends up and the pain ends up being just actually getting the data collected and labeled in a way that's actually going to make that possible. And I always tell people sometimes the most useful thing you can do for a scientist is just help them design a primer or organize their next experiment. So the work can be very, very basic, um, but it's pretty hard to run a modern lab without software. So out of all the softwares that you have built, um, including some of the ones that your team, uh, you and your team are working right now, what are the, the hardest software that you have built? Whew, I can definitely remember some um, pretty painful experiences and there were hard-won victories when you finally roll out a piece of software and feel really good about it. Um, it's usually because it was so difficult to get there. And I think some of the hardest stuff um, wasn't necessarily that complicated in the sense that if you said, look, this is what we need to build, and gave it to some software engineers, they could get something pretty quickly. But we were um, trying to work out what those requirements were with the users and they're changing every day. And then we were trying to replace a live running system with a better version. 
um, and that can take you 12 to 18 months to just understand what's needed and then really painful sort of swapping out how the data systems work, how the software worked. Um, and then often you have to actually change the human systems. You're going to have to get people to behave differently once this thing in is in there and then they change their mind as you go along. So it can be really difficult. Um, and one of the hard parts of that is I think to be successful, sometimes you've actually got to change the users to be successful. So they come to you and say, you know, I need this really, really specific thing. And you take a look at it and you think, maybe if I actually build that, it's probably not going to be very useful. I think there's a better way of doing it. So you have to go back and forth. Sometimes you have to argue with them even to get to the right thing. Um, you've got to remember that what software is a codifying a way of working. It's actually going to control that lab um, once you roll it out quite often. And when you're making software, you're making a set of decisions. Um, and so you're literally helping somebody organize their life when you write that thing. Um, and then there's other types of software where the idea is very simple, but um, conceptually it's very, very difficult. And I think probably the hardest thing I, I, I deal with at the moment is how do you represent things like the design for a piece of DNA, all the different things a user can think of building, um, representing all the parts, all the reagents. Um, You've got to sit down, talk to them, understand what they need, and then you've got to imagine sort of the future and all the things they might do. Then you need a very powerful and flexible way of representing that um, in your software. So that, there's lots of different ways software can be hard. I'm sure um, in all this hard work, there's also fun things to do, right? So give us some example of the coolest software that you wrote. <laughs> I think the coolest thing um, was probably a DNA compiler I built and um, this, this is a, basically a piece of software that can take the language that a scientist might write on or even on a whiteboard when they say this is the design I want for my DNA. Um, and it translates that into um, all the material reagents and design to actually build that DNA. So it's like a compiler where the input is genetics and the output is DNA. And um, it's kind of funny because it started off as a nomenclature exercise. We originally just trying to help them be regular about writing their notations. We were just going to check it and make sure it followed the rules. And then we realized sort of going into it that if you can check the notation, you can parse it. And if you can parse it, you could translate it. And if you could translate it, you could generate something. And so I sat down with a lot of the biologists and said, look, literally, how do you do your job? How do you, what are the design rules you're using? And then we tried to code these into software and initially they didn't like necessarily the design. They'd say, oh, that's too long, that's too short. I'd make that a little, you know, the higher melting temperature there, I'd move that around. Um, but just by sitting down and iterating with them and improving the, the software, eventually it got to a point where they would just trust it and they would let it spit out thousands of designs um, and then they would want it to do even more. And it was very satisfying being able to take that very kind of complex human activity and actually reduce it to um, a piece of software that could help them. So there are uh, quite a few commercial softwares uh, aiming for scientific industries. What are the advantage and disadvantage of building software in-house as opposed to purchasing off-the-shelf solutions? Um, good question. It's actually probably one of the things I get most from people and um, yeah, it's one of the reasons I'm very excited about Adurasis um, because really building your own software is incredibly painful. Um, uh, that said, I've certainly been involved in those efforts. And I'd say the great things about building your software is sort of like designing your own house. You can make it exactly the way you want it to be. So you can really customize it. And 
it probably feels a little bit like you can change it that may or may not be true but you feel like you've got some control over it you own it you can get up in the morning and make it do something different um and you know you can own the data structures all the data's in your database and you feel like you can kind of extend it um if your users are particularly fussy or there's something very sort of peculiar about how you operate you can craft the software to exactly how they they think again maybe that may be a good thing or a bad thing and then occasionally there's some just your business may have something so specialized that other people just don't do it um, and so you know if you need to design really complex pieces of dna and you're going to need algorithms for that then you know that's something maybe you're going to have to do i think the downside of doing it yourself is that it's always slower than you think it will be you sort of think oh maybe a month or two with some person over there in the corner and i'll have a prototype um and it ends up being quite expensive if you it's not uncommon in a biotech setting for um, a single FTE to cost a company maybe a quarter of a million dollars. So if you have four people working on software for a year, you just spend a million dollars. Um, but you said it's kind of hidden because it's sort of in, you know, it's in people rather than a check you're writing to somebody. Um, you also suddenly got to become a really good recruiter. You're competing with potentially with Google and Facebook to hire, you know, the best software engineers. And then you need whole mixture of different things you want people who can write good software um, but you also want them to be able to talk to your biologists understand what they want um, and then build it um, and it's also really hard if you haven't done it before so you're probably going to need to recruit people with a lot of expertise so I get bugged regularly can you help me design this thing we're building and you know I'd love to help somebody but there's only so many hours in the day and so um, really these things kind of get rebuilt over and over again by people who are learning it from the first time and i think that can be good outcome it can also be fairly painful so once um, a group decided to build some softwares in-house what do you think they need to consider in preparation to to make this work Ooh, um i think actually whether you're going to build it or even if you're going to try and buy it um it's really important to actually have a stable process in your lab that represents what you're trying to do. Um, it's, it's sort of a fool's error in trying to build a system when you, you think of limb software in particular as sort of um, a virtual mirror of a physical thing that's going on in the lab. And if that physical thing isn't particularly stable and it's changing and we haven't sort of worked it out yet, we haven't labeled everything, we don't have names, we haven't decided where to store stuff, um, then you don't really have requirements. And so you need requirements to build good software. I think sometimes people think um, my lab's a mess, but if I bring software and fix everything um, and the software on its own can't save a poorly designed lab workflow, it can't get, software doesn't get people to agree on one way of naming things. And so there's a human element to implementation and you're going to have to solve that. And the more cohesive your team is before you decide to get into the software business, um, the better it's going. And then I think you need to be realistic about time and budget. Um, when you need the software, if you hired somebody tomorrow and said, I need a database in a month, it's going to be probably a fairly simple database. Um, and it may be a year before that thing is really going to be in a place where, you know, you can rely on it. And in the meantime, your users are going to be using spreadsheets, a lot of workarounds. Um, and then be realistic about how many people it would take to build it. Um, Plenty of companies who get started with the one guy or girl in the corner um, who's just sort of doing software on the side and then it becomes more their full-time job and they have sort of a one-person software engineering team and that person gets kind of overwhelmed and it slows down and then maybe they even leave and you don't know how the software works. 
you know, realistically, it's probably going to take a group to do it. Um, so you need to find that person who can lead that group, and then you got to they're going to hire other people. And I think it's worth asking, how exotic is your data management problem? Um, are you representing some, you know, sort of weird brain images or something that nobody's ever thought about storing before? Or are you tracking clear liquid moving in 96 well plates around a lab? And um, I think the closer your problem is to something other people have tackled, the more likely you are to benefit from buying software that's um, it's already been used by other people. And I think there's also just different classes of problems. Are you going to be dealing with, um, I'd say, sort of tall, skinny data? Maybe you just have tens of thousands of 96 well plates going through a very similar process every day. And, you know, the problem is how much, how do you get a lot of data in? Or maybe you've got a really messy, messy problem where no sample ever gets handled, handled the same way and you just need a lot of flexibility. Um, so you've got to think about all of those things. Um, and either way, again, if you buy it or build it, you're going to have to work out the requirements and work out ways of storing those data if you do it yourself, how, what are good database representations. Um, it's a lot of work. And then you need to build a large enough team that it's sort of self-sustaining. Um, the, the one computer literate biologist writing it on the side is not going to build a system that a second person can understand. And it's not uncommon for biotechs to end up with pretty bad um, technical debt systems that everybody's a little bit scared to touch and nobody kind of knows how it works anymore because it was sort of done quickly. Um, if you're going to run a professional software operation, you're going to have testing, continuous integration, sort of modern software engineering practices. You have to sort of attract those people and then you're competing with the tech world often to hire them. Well, um, there are definitely a lot more questions I want to um, uh, ask you, Darren, but unfortunately we're out of time for today, but we have more episode um, planning um, coming up, so stay tuned. Um, thank cool. you for your time today. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you.